This is the Tribune Audio Network. Hi. Hi. Welcome to Sip. Survive. And repeat. Woo! Woo! Um, hey. So I was just ma- I was just making a quick reference to our first three star review, which I think means that we really made it. Is what I. It think is it our means. first bad review. It wasn't bad. It was just. Maybe it wasn't it was... great. It wasn't great for me unless this guy is really into butt clenching. Some people are really into that, though. Great. Well, this There's is for of... this is for you, sir. Love it. Hey. Is and your I butt told, clenched? I told Jenny earlier that whenever I saw that, I was like three sheets to the wind. And... <laughs> I, te- I texted the Sip Survive Repeat crew. I was like, somebody doesn't like me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's okay. But I was so drunk. I woke up the next morning and I was like, did I respond to some bad review? Like, I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Which is, <sighs> speaks volumes I mean, about my weekends. Good news. It wasn't bad because three stars isn't bad. That's just like average. And I think it's fine if someone doesn't like like some of the stuff we do some of the time or all the time. Everybody yeah. has their own taste. It's fine. He was but, speaking his truth and that's yeah. fine. Good for you, sir. Or ma'am. I, I think know. it's a sir though. Oh. I don't think women's butts clench because of what I say. No. I mean, mine doesn't. So Appreciate it. <laughs> um so what's been going on everybody well kenny's not sleeping that's what i heard it's not too bad oh okay the the first night obviously he woke up a ton like four or five times in case people don't know who we're talking about tell everyone who you're talking about i got a puppy he's Mm -hmm. i've had him now five days six days somewhere on there mm-hmm. uh but first night he just woke up you know every two hours every hour just whining wanting to go out now it's just like once a night i'll take him out like before i go to bed around like 12 30 or one he'll wake up around like four and then he'll wake up at, like seven or eight so it's not too bad i like that when you say i take him out before i go to bed at 12 30 or one <laughs> i laugh aloud in my head so well i can stay up later you know working from home i don't have to wake up to get ready so i'm waking up at like 8 30 every day it does it does uh well yeah i definitely try to go to bed at like 10 uh, mm-hmm. and i still have trouble waking up in a timely fashion uh, the good news is, is I have a five, an almost five-year-old to come jump on my, in my bed and wake me up. So mm. it's like yeah. a f- physical alarm clock. Well, I mean, <laughs> Callie doesn't wake up at all. So if like on the weekends, mm. if I go to bed at like one, I could, I can still as a very late thirties adult can sleep until like 10 o'clock. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's yeah. magical. It doesn't always happen because then most mornings I'm like, all right, I got to get my life together and get out of bed. But when you have a senior dog and no kids, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Super fun. So <laughs> get ready, Kenny. Can't wait. I can't not hear him whining right now. Not for four more years, though. You have a while. It's true. It's true. Um, so yeah, most of my dogs be... let me sleep in, but oh, go ahead. So this might be our last like virtual podcast. Like we're going least... to start trying to do it in person now, unless yeah, we I can't. Mean, right. I mean, our goal is to start doing them in person because then 
we can, especially for the wine tasting portion, which I know isn't the hugest portion of the podcast, but whatever, uh, we can drink from the same bottle and give our, our opinions, especially now that we have our partnership with a Magna wine boutique, um, which I'm very excited. They gave us our two bottles of wine for this month. So uh, we'll be going over those uh, the next time we record. And we're also going to talk about their wine club that you guys can join. And they are now shipping nationwide. Woo, woo, woo. And remember, this is wine that you can't really find anywhere else. So it's different right. than like your Wink clubs or any like online wine clubs that you would typically subscribe to. So they're handpicked and all wonderful. Everything that I've tried from them so far has been phenomenal. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's a great segue for us to talk about what we're drinking. Uh, so hang on. I got to open my tasting notes because I won't do this justice. And we're <laughs> drinking the same wine, Jenny. So you just go right ahead. Yes. Okay. So this is one that we actually did while me and Danielle were at Magna wine boutique and um, it's called romance rosé and it, as the name suggests is a rosé <laughs> um, and first I'll just tell you my non-wine professional opinion. It's delicious. I feel like it's very, um, it has a very pretty color. It's crisp and refreshing. Um, the bottle is the bottle's beautiful. super cute. Yeah. So I actually am planning to keep the bottle around and do something with it, like some sort of craft, just because Ooh. I like the bottle. <laughs> you know what you could do with the bottle? Get those like little tiny LED lights. They're almost mm-hmm. like Christmas lights and put them in the bottle because the bottle has like divots in it. And I yes. think the lights would look really pretty in there. You could do that with it. I think, I think that might be what I'm doing. And like the, um, the cork is actually made out of glass. So when you pop it, it, I don't know. It's really cool. It's just anyway, fancy. That's just me going on and on about the stupid bottle, but let's talk about what it tastes like. So, um, their sommelier sent me tasting notes because, oh, and pairings. So Laura, thank you for your kindness. Uh, okay. So this is what she says, and I'm going to read a lot of it verbatim because she's much better at this than I am. Uh, it's very light pink, and she said, like the sun's reflection on water. Oh, she's so good with her wording. Oh. Words. Great with words. words. That's song. work. Uh, okay, so um, on the nose, amazing aromatics that are very inviting. Dominant orchard fruits like peaches, peach ring candies, and sweet fruit salad. A very beautiful floral and intense nose that jumps out from the glass. And I concur. <laughs> um, it is nice. Janelle, any thoughts on that? It's smooth and delicious, but not too fruity. No, like that, I will say that makes it sound like it might be like sweet or like super fruity. No, it's just like the perfect amount because I'm not a sweet wine person. Although we are going to be tasting some sweet wines coming up because they have a sweet um, club and they have their seasonal club. So we're going to be trying one of each as we move into this partnership with them. So we'll see if my palate changes a bit, especially since they tend to pick wines that are somehow delicious, no matter if I have preconceived notions or not. Anyway. Um, so taste the freshness and fruitiness of this wine hits you at the front of your tongue and the, uh, freshly picked and chopped fruit like very ripe peach and strawberry flavors. 
Um, it has a great texture and almost silkiness to the wine. Again, smooth. This puppy is smooth. And rosés are usually about as far as I travel into lighter wines. <laughs> you yeah, drink red. But I will say they did get me uh, a couple of whites that I do enjoy. So the Riesling we tried was really good, which we'll taste yes. that another day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So they said as far as pairings, uh, it doesn't need food to lift the flavors. So this is one that you could just like be sipping on a patio. You don't need it uh, with food. But she said if you're going to, it does pair really well with spicy food like Szechuan chicken or Mexican dishes. So, and she said Mexican dishes with a little heat. So I think anything that's like spicy, that's, that can complement that sweeter fruit flavor is, is what she's suggesting. So anyway, that is the Romance Rosé and it's from Magna Wine Boutique. And if you go to magnawineboutique.com, you can see what's uh, the, the buzz about the wine club. We'll get into details though in our next recording. Um, so stay tuned for that. And like I said, they are shipping nationwide now. So I don't believe they're international yet for our folks listening in other countries. Bolivia, I'm shouting you out. Um, <laughs> but again, um, if you guys are interested, it's kind of a fun um, way to support a local uh, wine company. The other thing that's really cool um, is she is as far she told me as far as she knows, uh, Brittany, uh, the owner, is the only um, black owned wine boutique in Ohio. Oh, wow. I didn't know in Ohio. Mm -hmm. So she said as far as she knows. <laughs> so, um, if you guys also are, uh, into supporting, um, businesses, uh, that are owned, um, you know, by people of color, this is a great one to get involved with because oh. Brittany is, she couldn't be more amazing. Absolutely. And she's also a woman. So, yeah, I mean, we also like sport a, ladies. A <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So Romance Rosé, uh, me and Danelle are drinking that one. Kenny, are you drinking anything currently? I am. I am drinking a beer currently Ooh. called Blood of Summer from Wildside Brewery. Mm, does it have yeah. like blood? Does it have blood orange in it? No, it's just raspberries. It's a sour ale, but it's like a dark red kind of color. It's really good. Oh, it's my, nice. One of my favorite sour breweries in Ohio. Okay. Okay. What Fancy. if Kenny was like, what if Kenny was like, I'm drinking a Bud Light. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drinking a Natty. <laughs> Don't worry about it. That, that's not one I just casually drink. That's, you know, if I'm drinking 12 at a tailgate or something. That's if you're like, right. yeah, if you're doing like beer pong or something, it would yeah. just, it would have caught me off guard. And I, in my mind, I was just playing out the scenario in my head. Anyway. <laughs> okay. I can't remember the last time I had Bud Lights in my fridge. Uh, we had Labatt Blue for a while this summer just because it was like, if you're doing yard work, I will say yeah. that like a nice cheap light beer is kind of nice. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can admit Ultra. At that point. Yeah, well, I would, I would too, but uh, Donald does not drink IPAs, so they were not going to be in our house. Well, I have IPAs in the house. He does not. Mm -hmm. Anywho. <laughs> anyway. Um, anywho. All right. Let's talk survival stories. Okay. Um, do you who do you care if I go first or should no, we switch you, it up? No, you go ahead. Okay. So mine is a little different. It's not really a survival story. It's just a story I wanted to do because it's no judgment zone, but it's a little strange. And 
I just want to do something different. So here we go. Um, so this Great. is a story about um, a couple, and it's Akani Ricardo and Camila Castello. And it's an interesting story about a breatharian couple. Have you guys ever heard of breatharian? I sure haven't. Can you please explain it? I haven't. <laughs> okay. So basically, if you're a breatharian, it's you live off of the universe's energy and it's basically a food free lifestyle. So oh, God. get in, in their own good. right, they're survivors because they don't eat food. So get ready. So um, they are a mom and dad of two. And when this article was written, they had barely eaten food for nine years. Ah! I am just hungry thinking about it. I mean, I tried that three-day cleanse, and I almost (laughs) died. Did you say that they are a mom and dad? They are a mom and dad, and I will get into that part as Uh, well. Okay, that makes me nervous, but okay. Uh So the couple met in 2005, and they got married three years later, and... Later that year that they got married, they discovered what is called breatharianism through a friend. And the pair had to slowly work their way from, so you start being a vegetarian and then you go from being a vegetarian to a vegan, which I've thought about trying. I used to be a vegetarian, like God, like eight years ago, 10 years ago. And I actually really enjoyed it. But if your partner is not on board Meaning, like, Todd still ate meat, so it was very hard to cook two dinners. And if you've got kids in the mix, I can't imagine one being one way and one being another way. Um, But I've always been interested in the vegan diet, but just the whole cheese thing, the no cheese (laughs) thing, and no eggs, I can't get over. But So you transition from vegetarianism to veganism and then to just eating fruit. And then you start this 21-day breatharian process, so to speak. And I know in this process, during the first seven days, nothing is consumed except air. Okay. No. (laughs) And again, I'm not, I'm not judging. I'm not making fun of them to each their own. I'm only doing this story because I, a part of me thinks they're full of shit. And the other part of me thinks I'm interested. Like, I think it's very different and unique and interesting. So here we go. Um, So for the first seven days, you consume nothing but air. And for the next seven days, some water and diluted juice is then incorporated in back into your diet. So no water or anything for the first seven days. Um, and then for the last seven days, diluted juice and water again. So it sounds like for 14 days you do um, just water and diluted juice. So uh, Ricardo, who is the husband, Akani is his first name said that the first, the 21-day breatharian process was uh, very powerful and a stepping stone into realizing the infinite potential of what lies within. And um, he goes on to say that they they discovered like the breath inside them and showed us, showed them that they could be living without food as long as you have air. And he said that they used to eat a lot and consume a lot. And since they've started this process, they neither him nor his wife have felt hungry. Um, excuse me. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, like I said, when I did that three day cleanse, I, Todd and I immediately went out and bought, got sushi and just devoured it. So these people have very strong willpower. I couldn't do it. So for the next three years, the couple did not eat solid food at all. Even okay. what? But they could eat not solid food. 
I just want to make sure I'm understanding it. They did not so eat. They so they, eat. they could eat, like, broth. They could drink, like, broth or, like, juice. But uh-huh. they did not consume any solid food. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. And then even through the wife's first pregnancy in 2011. No. No. Mm-hmm. I'm... Although I have to say, I know a baby can survive with nothing because I threw up so many times during my pregnancy that they had to put me in the hospital and on an IV because I couldn't keep any food down. And that baby came out. I mean, Declan, it was a three weeks early, eight pounds, seven ounce boy. But God bless America. I wish I could have eaten. Well, (laughs) so she said she did have some like she had a little like some fruit or vegetable broth just three times per week. Like during no. her pregnancy, oh. but I just, I, I mean, I've never had children, but I can only imagine what, and she did that with both of her pregnancies. Um, like I said, now they've been together for nine years and they claim that their food-free lifestyle has improved their health and emotional well-being. Well, yeah, because you've got nothing else to do, but focus on your well-being. I mean, again, when I did that stupid three-day cleanse, we were bored. Like Todd and I were like, okay, well, we're not eating. So what do we do? Like, right. You don't realize how much food takes up your day to day. Um, also it helped them spend less money on groceries well, and food. So they said they were able to travel a lot more. Um, so the but what couple, do you do once you travel? My favorite thing to do is eat, eat and drink. <laughs> like, and it didn't, it didn't go into detail. Like if they, I'm assuming they don't consume alcohol if they're just drinking like bone broth or broth and like juices. I'm, I'm assuming they never drink wine or beer or anything like that. So, right. um, can you imagine the, uh, how drunk you would get off of one glass of wine if you just never <laughs> eat food. So the couple lives between, they travel back and forth between California and Ecuador. And um, they really feel that this process of living their life without food lets them connect more to the universe and energy that exists in all things around us. And um, they simply want to, you know, expand this practice into they want other people to be, to be able to do this practice as well. And I'll get into more of what they're doing to kind of expand the practice. But, um, she did say Camila, when she was first pregnant, that, um, she was never hungry. She said she lived fully on, um, light and, um, ate nothing. And her blood test during all three trimesters were impeccable. And she gave birth to a healthy baby boy. And she knew her son, she said, quote, would be nourished enough by her love and would allow him to grow healthy in her womb. And she went for regular, regular pregnancy checks up checkups and her doctor confirmed all above average growth and, um, healthy points for her baby boy, I guess. After she gave birth to her son, she wanted to, um, be able, she said she wanted to be able to explore the joy of food in small quantities with her children. So she did kind of break her breatharianism after she had, I believe her, um, second pregnancy, she said, because she wanted her kids to, you know, she wanted to enjoy the food process with her kids, I guess. I don't know. Um, So let's see. Let's see. Oh, she said also that she has never felt younger and her weight fluctuated. Um, After she had her two kids, she just immediately went back to her previous weight and she never suffered from after the fact, like PMS symptoms and she feels super emotionally stable. Um, Let's see. I'm just kind of like running through this article because a lot of this is already We've already talked about how you cut food costs and blah, blah, blah. But, um, okay. 
So here's the thing. They live today. They relax their roles a little bit. And they also put on these breatharianism camps. And there's an article that came out from GQ magazine where the writer actually went to one of their uh, retreats. That's the word I'm looking for. And essentially the retreat costs, get ready for this, $2,000 to attend. And it's seven days. And the one he went to was in California. And you do a breathing practice in the morning. There's no classes scheduled. Like there's no like nothing scheduled for the rest of the day. And then in the evening you do a meditation breathing class for seven days. That's all you do. And it's $2,000. And this couple is like, they're traveling all over the world, putting on these uh, retreats. And some of the retreats have up to 20 people in them. So people are interested in it is my point. And it's basically just a way to, for them to make money and also spread, you know, what they believe in, which is important to them. And again, I'm not making fun of them. I just think it's very interesting that this is catching on. Like this is a thing. Um, she does say, they do say in the article that they don't, although their children understand the belief system that they are breatharianisms and they don't eat or really drink anything, they don't put any stipulations on their kids and they never want them to feel like, you know, they can't explore different foods or create their own healthy relationships with food as they grow older, but they do understand that their parents don't really eat anything. So, um, I, I thought that was kind of a highlight of the article that it talks about. They don't place their beliefs on their children. And again, they're five and nine, at least when this article was written. So how could you, I mean, if a, if a five-year-old um, wants pizza, they're going to have pizza. <laughs> listen, I mean, I have Declan will be five. I think it is next week. Uh, and he, the kid never stops eating. Like, and it's, it's only like going to get constant. worse as he gets older. Right? I know. Like, yeah. Well, he's going to eat me out of house and home, but like he never stops. Eat. It's like we eat dinner and he's immediately like, I need a snack. I'm like, but we just ate. He's like, he I'm still hungry. Like ice cream as a snack, right? Yeah. Then he's like, then I'll have ice cream. And then I'll have <laughs> the other night. Came home from the grocery store and I bought cheese, like the kind that are like kind of more melt in your mouth kind, that yeah. kind of cheese puff, not like Cheetos. And um, he goes after dinner. He goes, uh, "I'm gonna need a snack. I want ice cream and cheese puffs." I was like, T- "Together, sounds, it sounds delectable." Mm. <laughs> so yeah, I got him a bowl of cheese puffs and a bowl of ice cream. I was like, "Here you go." Hmm. So. This practice has been around for over 30 years. And in fact, Wiley Brooks uh, initially founded the Breatharian Institute of America. And he is kind of the grandfather of this movement. And he believes himself to be, get ready, the reincarnation of both John the Baptist, naturally, and Jesus Christ. Mm, Of course. Um, so stay tuned for an up on, you know, future episodes of a cult from Breatharianism. <laughs> <laughs> um, at one time, uh, initiation into his institution cost $1 billion. What? So he created the Breatharian Institute of America and in order to get into like the initiation of it cost $1 billion. <laughs> um, he occasionally does consume Diet Coke and quarter powder quarter pounders with cheese from McDonald's. And he said it's the only food he claims that is not radioactive. 
Also, fun oh, fact. What? I, I know. I'm. Th- it, this is just, <laughs> again. I'm pretty very, sure both of those things are terrible for you, but okay. And out of all the foods, he's, he's claiming that McDonald's is the safe one. Okay. And uh, a fun uh, fact, Michelle Pfeiffer. Do you remember her? Kenny, do, of course. do you know who that is? Yeah, I do. Okay. I've heard the name. I can't picture the face right now. At one time, she practiced breatharianism as well. Is it when she starred as Catwoman? Because she was pretty she was tiny. skinny in that shit. And she got really, I think she ended up saying like in an article or whatever that she got really sick from it. But she, I think she did it for like three years. Oh, God. So it's like, I'm wondering if this is like a big, you know, California Hollywood thing or whatever. But Well, um, people in the Midwest don't stop eating. No, we what love f- our food. We love our... <laughs> French fries and whatever. I just, again, I just wanted to do something different and I just stumbled upon this and it sounds actually Todd stumbled upon this and sent it to me. And I was like, this is so bizarre, but to each their own. And I can't believe that people go for like, there are so many YouTube videos and articles of people that have gotten years and years and years without supposedly eating. And I just, more power to you, but I, I don't know how you do it. I mean, there is, you know, fasting is, is a thing. And I, a lot of people say that fasting is, you know, beneficial to your body, but to not, but to not eat anything for three years, I just, I don't, I kind of call bullshit on it a little bit, but I just found it to be really interesting. They're eating eating something like the broths and the like juices and stuff like that. Yeah. But just, wouldn't you be so hungry? I would be such a bitch. Yes. Oh. Yes. I mean, anyway, awful. that's my, that's my little ditty this week. So I, I, I like it. Yeah, something different. Those people are surviving on sunlight. And... They're survivors in their own right. Right. Yeah. It, I may, it makes me want to punch them in the face a little bit, but you know what it does? It makes my butthole clench. Ah, love it. <laughs> love it. Okay. Um, very interesting. I mm-hmm. wanted to tell you, cause, uh, this reminds me of a series I've been watching on Netflix. Um, it's called unwell. Have you guys seen or heard this before? I've heard of it and I want to watch it. It's on my list. So there's like different things that they talk about, uh, and like that people do that just seem like a little bizarre. Like, um, there's, I just am watching the one on bee sting therapy which is like people sting themselves with bees or have like other people sting them with bees to like help with like arthritis pain and Lyme disease and stuff like that. Um, I'm not, I haven't finished that one yet, but there's like other ones too. Um, They do have an episode on fasting. So it's not obviously this, this extreme, but right. But they do talk about fasting and there is like, there's some people on there who fast for like, long periods like 28 days a water only fast oh mama mia mama mia i mean they do (laughs) that if you watch if you're a naked and afraid viewer as i am they don't (laughs) uh, like these people go days and days and days without they always have water but they go three weeks sometime without food sometimes without food so it's possible i just don't know I get incorporating meditation into your life and maybe some fasting is, is healthy and beneficial, sure. but I, I just think this is bananas, but no judgment zone. Just, yeah, you do you. Interesting. Yikes. Okay. All right. Oh. Are you ready? I'm ready. Today I am covering the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> 
Yes, my favorite topic in junior high. I thought you were going to say my favorite triangle. (laughs) It is my favorite triangle because I was really bad at geometry. It's probably the only triangle I can name. (laughs) There was a... I always wanted to play the triangle in elementary school. You know, they broke out the instruments and you got to pick one. I always wanted the triangle because it was so dainty. I like Um, the maracas, but I was into the triangle too. I also like the tambourine, but that's just because you could shake your butt while you were working it. (laughs) You could clench. You could clench and shake your butt. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. We We might talk about it for an entire episode. (laughs) We will berate you afterwards. Thank you. Uh, Okay, so um, yes, I feel like the Bermuda Triangle, the reason that this came up is because I saw things on Facebook, like memes and like on Instagram of people who were like, when I was six years old, like the Bermuda Triangle seemed like a real problem that I kept thinking, why is no (laughs) one fixing this? And I'm like, yes, it's the same reason reason I picked quicksand a a bit ago. It's because (laughs) it's like everybody talked about quicksand, like we were all going to die from it, but it's really not that common. Uh, same Z's with the Bermuda Triangle. I just feel like it seemed like a big deal as a kid. Like people are disappearing. Why aren't we looking into this? Okay. But true truth here. If you're flying over Bermuda, let's say you're going to the Bermuda islands, mm-hmm. would you be a little nervous to fly yes. over the Bermuda Triangle? I would be as well. I I've been to Bermuda. It's beautiful. Oh, I've never it is, been. It's a beaut. Uh, it's a very, uh, because it's a British uh, colony. I don't know if that's still what you call them, but everybody has a British accent and they do wear Bermuda shorts with like knee high socks. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. And your everything was fine with the plane ride, obviously, because I'm here still today. here unless here I'm in today. a parallel, maybe I'm in a parallel universe. I don't know. <laughs> well, that I'm excited like, because that sounded like something special. It sounded like a, like a COVID cough. I'm all right. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't record together this week. Just it's kidding. fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So the Bermuda Triangle. Yes, I was terrified to, to fly over it. Uh, it's also known as the Devil's Triangle, which I did not Ooh. know that. Um, it's one of the most mysterious places on planet Earth. And if you don't know, because some people are like, I don't know where Bermuda is because, you know, we don't learn that sort of thing in America. Uh, it's, located, it's located off the southeastern coast of the United States in the Atlantic Ocean. So it's, um, there's, the triangle is between Bermuda, Florida, and Puerto Rico. It's, and that's the center of the unres- unresolved mysteries that we're going to talk a little bit about an unresolved one that I really liked. And then we're going to talk about a guy who actually survived. And then his vessel is what caused uh, some discoveries happened about the Bermuda Triangle. So um, it's 440,000 miles of sea is what the Bermuda Triangle actually covers. So it's not just like, you know, a five-foot triangle situation. It's like really big. Um, and the reason that it's had so much mystery surrounding it is because a number of vessels heading to America, Europe, and the Caribbean um, have been lost in that region and when i say lost i mean like just like the ship just goes away <laughs> like or, gone. or sometimes the, the ship or the plane remains the crew is missing or they'll be like watching the radar and it just 
completely out of thin air just is never seen again. Yes. And it's not just like little dinghies because it's pretty far out there. Um, Bermuda is pretty far out. Like it, I, I don't know. I feel like it was a long flight from, uh, I think we were in the Carolinas. I forget. I think, I think we were in North Carolina and you fly from there and it still was a couple hours out into the Atlantic. Uh, so it's not close to America. <laughs> um, so anyway, large ships and planes have gone missing. Um, it's been blamed for the disappearance of thousands of people. Like, that's a lot of people. A lot of people. Um, the first time it was called the Bermuda Triangle, though, was actually in 1964. And it was uh, penned by someone named Vincent Gaddis. And it was published in Argosy Magazine. So that's the history of the name Bermuda Triangle. I'm going to subscribe um, now. Get on it. I'm sure it's still in print. <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> oh, Brody. Bark. Oh, my dogs are barking. And I don't mean my oh. feet. I mean my dogs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the first thing I'm going to talk about, like I said, is a vanishing situation, which I just was like, what the fuck is this? So I just wanted to make sure we all were on the same page. Uh, this is the disappearance of the crew of the Ellen Austin. So it was 1881 and, um, wait, hold on. I'm sorry. It's not the disappearance of the Ellen Austin. It's the Ellen Austin stumbling upon a missing cruise ship. Anyway. Okay. So okay, is this a, a boat? The Ellen Austin? Yeah. Is that a boat? The Ellen okay. Austin, or as they call it, it's a schooner. Oh, schooner. All right. <laughs> that means, but I like oh. it. Uh, it's a crevasse. It's fine. Um, okay. So this ship is named the Ellen Austin. It's 1881. It's 210 feet long. And she was on her way because boats are women. If you didn't know, boats are women. Okay. So the Ellen Austin was on her way to New York from London. And uh, sh apparently she stumbled upon a derelict near the B Bermuda Triangle. And I thought a derelict was like a person who is... You know, I didn't even know what that meant. So can you it's tell like a, me? It's like, well, I thought it was a person who's like, you know, like bedraggled and not clean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But apparently a derelict is also uh, a boat that's just hanging out. Oh, okay. So anyway, so uh, the Ellen Austin stumbles upon this derelict and everything seems fine it's an unidentified schooner, 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 and it's drifting just north of the Sargasso Sea. Again, I don't know what any of that means, but if we're traveling from London to New York, we're somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, that's, in there. that's how I'm visualizing this. Just Great. Me too. Um, okay, Captain Baker of the Ellen Austin uh, was told to observe the derelict for two days. I feel like I just like the word derelict uh, for two days to make sure that it wasn't a trap because at this point, and I think still today, pirates are real. Like pirates, pirates. They're gonna they're gonna come aboard your ship and kill your people and steal your shit. So, uh, no offense to pirates, I really loved Pirates of the Caribbean. Anyway, um, so <laughs> Captain Baker waited for two days and there was no response from this ship. Um, so the captain then decided to enter the vessel. And that's when he found it completely abandoned. There was no crew anywhere, but it was well packed with its like contents still. So Spooky. It, wasn't, 
it wasn't that pirates came and like threw the crew overboard and stole all the shit because all the shit was still there. Yeah. So he decides he's going to tow it back. Um, so he, uh, he placed what they call a prize crew on the ship. I don't know if that means like they're really um, great guys because <laughs> they're a prize crew. I don't know what it means. <laughs> Again, I should have looked that up, but it's like sailing terms. Um, and uh, he said that he, um, you know, put this prize crew on there. He, they tied the ships together somehow uh, with rags. I don't know. And they start, <laughs> they start sailing on calm water. So it's not like there was like big storms or anything. Um, but there was a small squall and that small squall separated the path of the two ships and the derelict vanished again with the prize crew aboard. Okay. So the, this crew that was scoping it out, they're stuck on board this random ship. That's just was abandoned. Yes. And it's, and it's just a very small squall, like a little storm came, uh, and it was pretty much otherwise calm waters. They separate. Um, so Captain Baker at this point, you know, he has a lookout and he's, they're trying to find the vessel again. And it was days after the storm, but they spot the vessel and they, uh, notice it's drifting far away and aimlessly once again, as if not piloted Mm. or captained or whatever you do on a boat. Um, so many, so many, um, nautical terms. I know. (laughs) So after hours of effort, the Ellen Austin, the, um, the ship, you know, that has people on it, finally caught up to the vessel. But again, now no one was on board. <gasps> Spooky. I know. So the prize crew, the, you know, the crew of great men, as I like to call it, is gone. Gone, gone, gone. So uh, Captain Baker tried once again to bring the vessel back to land. Um, but it had the same fate. So he put a crew on there. They started off. The ship broke away. That crew vanished. And so he decided at that point that he was abandoning the cursed vessel. He wasn't trying to bring it into land anymore at this point. Okay. Um, there was other reports, because again, it was 1881, so I'm not sure how true any of these are. Uh, but the, another report suggested that the derelict... Uh, was spotted again, but this time it had a separate crew than the prize crew that was placed on it by Ellen Austin. So, like, just totally different people were on the boat. Yeah, that's freaking weird. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, this was this all happened in the Bermuda Triangle, and um, the, her reappearance in the absence of the prize crew is really what it makes it an intriguing story. Um, and they haven't really figured out much about it until we come to more present day. Okay. Okay. All right. So this is from something called the Southeastern Sun. Um, I'm going to guess that's some sort of local t- uh, newspaper. Yeah. Um, it is by Brandy Cruz. And this was in 2011 is when the article was written. Okay. Um, so... Walt Wyatt, I like his name, <laughs> uh, is from a place called Enterprise. Do I know where that is? No, I assume that's where you rent a car, but <laughs> Enterprise will pick you up if you guys want to sponsor us. Um, he's from a city called Enterprise, and um, he was a seaplane pilot. So um, that sounds like a terrible idea. 
in general, but thank you. Whatever. Um, he had a plane called a Beechcraft Baron. Um, he was an air force veteran. So I guess fine. You have like training. That seems good. Um, and Oh, he set off uh, in his twin engine plane from Nassau to Miami. Nassau. Is that in the Bahamas? Yeah. The Caribbean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, he, he made the trip without using any flight instruments because they had been stolen. Oh God. I was like, no, Wyatt. Why are you doing this? Wyatt? Well, his name is Walt, I guess, but Wyatt is a cuter name. Well, Walt. (sighs) Okay. So he got assurance from a weather forecaster in NASA that everything was cool, cool, cool. And he could just use a compass to guide himself back to Miami. Right. Okay. I'm like, this sounds like a terrible plan, sir. I never understand. Like, people are just like, cool. I'm like, no. Um, it's, I don't know. Whatever. I mean, if the compass was broken in my car, I think I could make do. But on, in a plane, it seems like that's, like, an important piece of equipment. Yeah, um, I would want all of my equipment working. <laughs> so he said, I didn't realize it until I was into the flight a considerable distance that my compass was broken. Oh, oops. So he said when someone had tried to take or someone had broken in and taken all the other equipment, they had tried to take the compass, but they couldn't get it out. But when they did that, they had broken it. So he was getting bad headings. (laughs) Sounds dangerous. Sounds terrible. Um, So before long, uh, bad weather had moved in. And that's when I say, hey, maybe your forecaster friend wasn't as talented as you hoped. (laughs) <laughs> because maybe someone... he should maybe he should think of a different career path uh, uh, so basically at this point um, Wyatt is flying blind um, the Coast Guard was told by another plane that Wyatt was in trouble so at least there was communication going on this was 2011 it wasn't like back in the dizzy um, so the Coast Guard intercepted him and was lead, trying to lead him to Miami so at least there was like a rescue squad okay. um, the bad news his plane ran out of fuel. Oh, God. So <laughs> not only did his instruments not work, he just ran out of, didn't gas up. Yeah. I'm well, like, why it? Why it? <laughs> Living on um, the edge, that Wyatt. Mm. So he said, this was his quote, I opened the door so that when the airplane hit, the door would swing open. A lot of times an airplane will wrench and it'll trap the door shut and you can't get out. So always open the door before you crash. Oh. Okay, great advice. The survival tips from Walt Wyatt. <laughs> and also make sure your instruments work before so you don't have to mm-hmm. get into the situation. And that you have and that you have gas. Yeah. A couple those are a couple tips from Danelle and Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> We're such dicks. Okay. Um, okay. So the force of the plane hitting the ocean caused his head to hit the dashboard which left a big gash. Um, He had a life vest on and he stepped out onto the wing of his plane. And just within seconds, the plane was already sinking into the ocean. And at this point, the Coast Guard um, couldn't find him. So he was very nervous and he kept thinking if he wasn't found within an hour, he probably wouldn't be found. So he's like calculating things in his head um, mm-hmm. just based on his knowledge of like flying over the sea and da, 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 da. Um, and 
there was that storm overhead. So it caused the water to be super choppy. So the Coast Guard um, really couldn't see him. Um, and within an hour of getting into the water, uh, the blow tubes on his commercial life vest came out. No, he, this guy's and the so worst luck. It, and so it deflated. <laughs> Terrible. Oh my God. And then he sued the life vest company. No, I'm just kidding. Well, he might have, but I mean, <laughs> I should. Um, okay. So he tried to find something that he could use as a flotation device. So he took the vest off and put it underneath himself. And then he used his fingers to plug the holes where the blow tubes used to be. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, okay, so now you have to balance on a semi-deflated life vest while you plug it with your finger holes. Great. Perfect. Finger holes. (sighs) So um, he said, so just so you guys know where he is. He's in the Bermuda Triangle. Mm-hmm. That's where he crashed. That's why all this shit's going wrong. Mm-hmm. So uh, he said the water around him at that point started to light up with an eerie glow. <gasps> and he said there was a large amount of phosphorus in the water. And it was being churned, in the, uh, churned up by all the heavy rain. And so it's, that's what was causing it to glow and illuminate the water. And then he started hearing the sounds of barking dogs. What? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So his quote was, I wasn't hallucinating, but a lot of mariners at sea said they could hear dogs barking. I thought I heard dogs barking, so I would swim towards the noise. I'm like, dude, I think you might be hallucinating. I don't think there's dogs out there, but. I don't. Yeah. Tell me. Um, In another exciting turn of events, uh, sea leeches began to attach themselves to his legs. No. <laughs> it's no, your favorite, no? no, 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 no. <laughs> I hate leeches. <laughs> so they're biting him. Uh, he's in rough water. There's the storm going on. His life vest doesn't work. There's leeches biting him. There's strange sights, strange sounds. He couldn't sleep, and his mind began racing. Mm-mm. So he kept thinking at this point that he was going to die. Uh, and he, he said he thought, he thought about the people he was leaving behind and that being a human is a very fragile thing. And he said, I started to pray. Um, he said he was hoping someone would at least find his body. So he, um, in order for them to ID him, he took his ID card out and put it in the pocket of his life vest. Cause he thought that would be at least if his body sank, they would find the vest. Oh, I'm like, I don't know. Your vest sad. is kind of, I'm like, your vest is kind of jacked, buddy. I don't know if they're going to find that oh, either. Yeah, but... <laughs> it didn't, it didn't even inflate. <laughs> It's partially inflated, um, but they would know that the vest belonged to him if they found his ID in it, in which case it would give some closure to his family. Okay. Anyway, good news. He made it till morning. Oh, great. So good job. His, his eyes were almost swollen shut because of the salt water, and he said we woke up. There were sharks swarming all around him. Of course there were. Because his head, was ble- his head was still bleeding profusely from when he hit it on the dashboard of the plane. So he said, I was lucky the water was rough. If the water had been calm, they would have honed in. They would have honed right in. So um, let's see it. Around 8.45 a.m., Wyatt heard a Coast Guard plane fly overhead, and he started waving his bright orange life vest, you know, the deflated one that didn't fucking work. Yeah. Um, and it, fl- it flew back and forth for a while, and he was wondering if they maybe couldn't see him. Um, but the plane had already dropped a flare into the water, 
Um, but Wyatt couldn't see that because his eyes were so swollen. So like they did see him, they dropped a flare down there, which I, apparently is what they do. And then a ship pulled up next to him um, and they pulled him out of the water. So he did survive the Bermuda Triangle, even though the Bermuda barely. Triangle really tried to kill him. <laughs> they barely survived the Bermuda Triangle. Like he's so lucky. Yes. So now we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what they call in the article from tragedy to discovery. Um, okay. So it took him several months to heal physically and emotionally from the stress. Uh, in fact, his brown hair turned white before oh, it eventually turned back to its natural shade of brown. So it like went white for a little bit because of so much stress, but then wow. it turned back to brown. I'm like, I didn't even know that could happen. I didn't need, I didn't either, but it makes sense. I mean, if you go through something like that and survive it, I bet my hair would fall out or something. Yeah. Okay, so then nearly 25 years later, uh, Wyatt, who is now an insurance agent, received a phone call about the plane he had lost. Oh, I'm so sorry. This whole thing took place in 1986. I'm an idiot. Um, So the article's from 2011, but this whole thing happened in 86. Okay. Okay, everybody on board? Great. When did the, wait, so when was the plane found? What year? So 2000, well, 25 years after 1986. Kenny, is that 2011? Say that one more time. 25 years after 1986 is 2011. Yeah, Yeah. Okay, so when the article is written, that's what the, this is, okay. It's all coming together now. Great. We're, we're, it's fine. Sometimes we have to work through these things. Okay, so exciting. The researchers from the Global Reef Expedition. I love um, that expedition. Right? It was a project of Khaled bin Sultan, which I believe he's a prince. I think it says that later. Anyway, uh, they discovered Wyatt's plane in April of 2011 during an expedition. Because they were trying to, the study was to talk or to look at preserving coral reefs around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically they found this plane and they contacted Wyatt and said, and wanted to know like what kind of plane he was flying. And he told them a Beechcraft Baron. And they said, there are a lot of missing ships and boats out there in that area. To my knowledge, this is the first time anyone has found it. Wow. So there's all these like other ships and planes down in the ocean um so hold on i'm going through some stuff that talks about this sultan person uh okay what they discovered is at the center of okay sorry i gotta go back okay while studying satellite images of ksal bank which is in the bermuda triangle the scientists noticed circles of seagrass on the ocean floor and seagrass isn't abnormal but perfectly round circles of grass are. So they decided to go investigate. Uh-huh. All right. So what they discovered is at the center of each of the circles were man-made objects, such as ships, oil rigs, and planes, like Wyatt's. Crazy. And then, and then between the objects and the seagrass were halos of sand, so it created a donut hole illusion from above. So you have, like, the man-made object in the middle, a ship, or a plane you have the seagrass swirling around it and then you have sand around the outer edge so it looks like a donut that's crazy Mm -hmm. um so when they were researching 
um, the site of Wyatt's plane, they realized that the plane itself was acting as a reef and it was providing a home for sea life that normally would have had, uh, would find haven in natural coral reef. So, um, it basically becomes an aggregation device for fish and it provides a habitat for them. Um, so they were finding a lot of fish in and around the debris, even though it was man-made debris. Um, and fish only travel short distances and fertilize an area surrounding the reef. So the, um, this ring was providing nutrients um, that mix with phosphorus in the water and allowed the seagrass to grow and enrich the environment. So like- That makes sense, yeah. The, all the stuff that was sinking <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle, was actually creating a really nice um, habitat for sea life. Um, so, and he said, not just that fish lay their eggs, but turtles will come uh, and eat it. Like the seagrass, I believe. Not the eggs, but I don't know. I don't know what turtles eat. Uh, it's just an indicator of a healthy, happy ecosystem. And so um, Walt Wyatt said, knowing that his plane is helping the marine ecosystem makes the tragedy he went through worthwhile. Oh, Wyatt. <laughs> Walt. Walt Wyatt. Um, so that is the story of Walt Wyatt and the Bermuda Triangle. And now we know a little bit more about what's going on down there. We still don't know why. Yeah. I don't think but, we're ever going to know why. I think there's like a magnetic force or something there. Yeah. But there's been there's lots of speculation and scientific stuff going on but um yeah i just thought it was super interesting that like and he lived to tell the story so he sure it's did pretty incredible the bermuda triangle tried to kill him hardcore and he was like ah, yeah it did nah. it, it really tried to take him down and tried to finish him off with the sharks and it oh. didn't work mm-mm, mm-mm. all right mm-mm. kenny you got some weird news I do, but first, we've talked about this before, so I don't know if you guys had heard about it. Have you seen what the last Blockbuster store is doing? Yes. Oh, that was part of my weird news. Oh, I didn't mean to ruin that. But <laughs> it's, it's an interesting did you, story. Did you guys, I've, for people who don't know, they're making the last Blockbuster store into an Airbnb that's like 90s themed and you basically have control of the store you see what the price is going to be though it's only for three nights in september i think it was like four dollars or something crazy four dollars one cent more than you would spend on a new release (laughs) is what they said (laughs) i think it's awesome what so it's gonna fill up pretty quick i mean it's only september 18th to 20th they're doing it i'm assuming in the future they're gonna do it more not sure but it's only also, open to people in Bend, Oregon right now. So Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was just go. for those days. I just I thought it was like a, a permanent thing, but that's when crazy. I first saw it, I thought it was gonna be permanent, but right now I think they're just testing it out, maybe. That's wow. so funny. So would you guys go to that? I would. I think uh, yeah. Oh for sure. I I used to love Blockbuster. Like you just the smell. You walk in, it smells a certain way, and you got to like go look. And sometimes all the movies you wanted would be gone, and you're like, ugh. Yeah. And there are so many movies to choose from back then, where now it's like if you go on, I don't know, like YouTube TV or Netflix, there's just not the same new variety out that there used to be. Right. You know, I just feel like back then it was just much more of a selection in the 80s and the 90s, people. Oh, so good. So good. Okay, so actual weird news. Oh, okay. Uh, 
two people wearing what are suspected of stealing from a convenience store. Hmm. Wait, say that one more time. Two people wearing what? I'll be more specific. They're wearing something on their head. Are suspected of stealing from a convenience store. And this was in Virginia. And it was from a sheet okay. system. Hmm. They're wearing something on their head. Crowns. Were they wearing crowns? Okay. Good guess. Um, gosh, I don't I was gonna say like a some type of hard hat or like a miner's. I pictured like a miner's helmet with a <laughs> flashlight. I don't know. They were wearing watermelons on their head. No. Why? They hollowed out a watermelon and cut two eye holes. Stop. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they robbed the sheets. That's awesome. I mean, that's not awesome that they robbed something, but that's the pictures hilarious. look ridiculous. <laughs> How nice. many drugs were they on? <laughs> uh, they did say they were drunk at the time. Yeah. And they right. were underage possession of alcohol because they're 20. Uh-huh. Time oh. So. Okay, so they didn't catch them, is what you're telling me. They caught one of them. They haven't caught the other guy. Is so it because he had a watermelon might... on his head still? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how they... <laughs> they didn't say how they ended up finding out who it was, but they did catch nice. them. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. All Creative. Right. Yeah, I mean, good for you. Creativity counts. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. All right, guys... that's it. That's it. That's all we got. We're so, done. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next Tuesday. And uh, make sure you tune in on Thursdays for Weird News Shorts. And thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.